Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardawar, and today I'm joined by our Senior Mobile Editor, Chris Velasco. Hey, Chris. Hello, and good morning, and welcome to the Engadget Podcast. (laughs) We are having a grand old time because uh, Sherlyn Lowe is on vacation, so we we can just, like, let loose, right, and have a little party. Well, so this is this is I feel like a golden opportunity. I can do like my weird ASMR stuff and my like public radio impersonation voice stuff, right? Uh-huh. Like this is the time Which I can you do can't it. can't do around Trillin for some reason. She she finds it extremely disturbing, and I I can't blame her for that. I feel like that's listen pretty much the response every time I do it. Different strokes for different folks. Today, we'll be chatting about Amazon's MGM acquisition, which is a pretty big deal for Amazon, and honestly, a pretty big deal for the media landscape and the and Hollywood. In general, and we've got a couple other bits of news. It's not going to be as news-heavy as last week, so we're, we're going to have a bit of fun with this. As always, please subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's always super helpful. And drop us an email at podcastengadget.com if you want to, you know, chat with us. You can also find us live streaming the show typically around 10 a.m. Eastern every Thursday morning. So join us for a fun time. You know, we'll do some Q&A. You'll get to see what our rooms look like. Uh, you know, it's fun. Join us. Okay, Chris, Amazon announced this week that it intends to buy MGM Studios for $8.45 billion. That's a big deal, right? Is it? Is it? Is, is it? I, what is I, it? I, yeah. <laughs> I'm very pleased that you're here. Uh, uh-huh. Because I have not watched a movie in my entire life, and I have no real <laughs> understanding of film. You're history just all or Hollywood history. TikToks and YouTube videos. That's it's all just you YouTube, are. man. It's just Project Farm watching guys test like transmissions <laughs> and stuff all the time. So you, you love tell, your farm guys exactly. So you tell me, is this a big deal? I mean, financially, yeah. it's a huge number. It's north for of eight sure. billion dollars paid for for MGM, yeah. which is their second biggest acquisition ever, just behind Whole Foods. And Whole Foods was thirteen point seven billion dollars. So yeah. it's not even not even that high but you know I, I feel like the whole foods thing surprised everybody right because it was it wasn't just that amazon bought a company it was amazon bought a physical grocer right, right. which is a renowned place where you know they're a high-end grocer they're a place uh, that exists in a lot of like especially like affluent communities you know whole foods just instantly gave amazon a physical presence what does the mgm deal give amazon i think that's the real question and I think immediately you look at what MGM has as a storied Hollywood studio. It has a lot of content. It has a wealth of content. Um, and it's the sort of thing that Amazon could get to bolster up Prime Video, um, you know, to make it a more compelling service than Netflix or 
HBO Max, which is, you know, that that whole AT&T and Time Warner deal, mm-hmm. which is confusing, too, because we didn't talk about AT&T trying to spin that off and sell that and combine that with Discovery. So the world of media is kind of a mess right now. But basically, MGM, as a studio, has been trying to sell itself for years. Apparently, there have been rumors for a while now. It makes Amazon Prime Video stronger. But I also don't know, you know, Peter Kafka wrote a good piece uh, over at Vox, I believe, where he he projects that it's probably going to be, it's more like a, a way for Amazon to prevent Prime subscribers from leaving, basically. It, it's, it's a reason to keep your subscription around. So, yeah, we got a lot of content. What does that mean? And also, the early content, the pre-1983 mm-hmm. content, or especially the movies, the big movies like, was it uh, Gone with the Wind? And singing in the rain yeah. aren't part of this deal because MGM sold those to Ted Turner uh, <laughs> in the 80s. Because it turns out we had the same problem, or at least he had the same problem that Amazon's having now. He had TBS. He had uh, Turner Classic Movies. He had stations that he needed to fill content, you know? And that's why we all grew up watching those movies on cable over and over again. So, yeah, it's kind of history repeating itself. Does this strike you as surprising or odd, Chris? I mean... I, I feel like the number came as a bit of a surprise, and I think yeah. that's true for a lot of people, too. Uh, reports published prior to yesterday's announcement basically indicated that, you know, Apple and Netflix were among the companies mulling a purchase of the MGM catalog and just sort of the company outright. And it comes to pass, uh, based on the reporting that we've seen, that Amazon paid roughly a 40% premium. So clearly, like they understand the value of having a deep, rich content library to kind of help people stay around. But you raised such an interesting point, right? And like, uh, like one of the headlines I read sort of relating to this whole thing was, you know, old Hollywood meets new Hollywood. And that feels so true because – in, in like looking up some of the like old historical moves that preceded all of this. Yeah. Like this resort magnate Kirk Kirkorian like bought and sold MGM like three times between the seventies and the eighties, like Ted Turner got involved. Like all of the pre 1986 stuff is still under his control, which is why you can find some of those movies on, you know, streaming services like HBO max. It, it really does kind of feel like, Things have things have not changed to your point, but I want to I'm hoping you can maybe put like a finer point on this. So some of those classic movies, like you said, Singing in the Rain, Gone with the Wind, I think The Wizard of Oz, 2001 A Space Odyssey. These are like proper classic films that that Amazon just does not have access to. So where where is the real value here? Is it in the Rockies and the Bonds and the ability to sort of build new franchises out of old IP? Like, is that really the draw for them, you think? I think for a lot of these companies, IP is kind of the big thing right now, too. And you're seeing this with Hollywood Studios, where they would rather reboot something, you know, or do a sequel or Ugh. something rather than an original idea. So, yeah, now, now technically Amazon owns the Bond franchise, but then it gets even more complicated because the Bond franchise is also <laughs> co-owned by the uh, by, the Broccoli family, by Barbara Broccoli and is it Michael Wilson, I believe. Um, they co-own that. So Amazon doesn't have full control over the character or what they could do with future movies. Uh, I assume maybe this deal means like the, the upcoming, you know, Bond movie, No Time to Die, which has been delayed since last year. Um, maybe it'll hit Amazon Prime Video sooner. 
But th- that was actually the thing that was being rumored around Apple too, right? It was the idea yeah. that, hey, all of a sudden, all the Bond stuff would just be on Apple and that would be the big pull. Maybe all the older Bond stuff will just appear on Amazon. I, I don't even know if it's all up there already. But there are going to be ways for Amazon to leverage this. But it is funny that the most uh, valuable character in this entire portfolio is still not fully theirs. I'm, I'm sure they were like working on a way to like wrestle it out of the broccolis, but that family started the Bond movies, right? The, right. was it Cubby Broccoli started it. Uh, he was the original producer on the first one and they just kind of kept it going. So talk about like a good franchise bet, you know, like the Bond series has just been so lucrative for them. And so, uh, so fruitful, <laughs> I'd say like a lot of movies and a lot of money coming from them. Well, here's an interesting question that mm-hmm. kind of stems from the Bond stuff, too. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, again, having not seen a movie since, you know, <laughs> ever, basically. So as, ever. I, as I understand it, you know, a lot of one of the big reasons uh, Bond 25 has been pushed back was because they wanted to give it like a proper theatrical release. Yes. You can't really yes. do that in the midst of a pandemic. Does Amazon buying MGM, does that possibly put that plan at risk? I don't know if it puts it at risk in the, uh, I believe Barbara Broccoli uh, issued a statement to saying like, hey, we we are excited about this deal and we're committed to bringing Bond to theaters because it's really, that is the power of that franchise is for big budget, bombastic action. And uh, the character is problematic. I'm sure there are going to be ways they need to like <laughs> deal with that and who he is and what he represents because he's just like a Cold War Lothario, basically, right? Like that, that was Bond. That's all mm-hmm. he was for a while. I think uh, I really like the, the Daniel Craig Bonds, uh, but again, only some of them. Uh, I think Casino Royale. One of the best action movies made within the last few decades. That movie is solid and perfect in so many ways. Oh, man. And then it's like every other movie, they kind of falter. Like uh, Quantum Assault, what happened there? Man, Skyfall, like, incredible. But yeah. Mm-hmm. The hard yeah. left from uh, from Casino Royale into Quantum Assault. It's just Maybe, maybe yeah, don't God. get as a quiet indie <laughs> film director to make your big budget action movie. Like maybe that won't work out so well. It is funny. Spectre was the last one uh, from all the folks involved in Skyfall. Spectre was also terrible. So there's always a back and forth. I'm really excited about No Time to Die. You've got Kerry Fukunaga behind the camera. And I love everything that guy has done. And he's just an exciting filmmaker to me. So we'll see. We'll see what all this means. Uh, Yeah. Do do you have any deeper thoughts here, Chris? Like, I I think one thing this could to lead to is Amazon making a bigger, a bigger presence in the world of theaters, which as we've seen over the last few, over the last year in particular, movie theaters need help. They are bleeding out money. And Amazon is over here with a huge war chest and more and more content. And the, you know, the impetus to be a big player in Hollywood, I, they could just buy AMC. We've talked about AMC and how, how bad that business has been for them. They, they were basically saved by some debt financing over the last few months, but AMC, (laughs) could easily like it would not take much for Amazon just to swoop in and buy out that franchise. They don't even have to change the branding. It could just be Amazon <laughs> movie cinemas. They could just keep it like that. Brilliant. Brilliant. I I would I would I feel like I would enjoy seeing that if only because I've sort of been tracking like the AMC like meme stock situation and everyone seems <laughs> like it's just not great. Like if you're if it's you're like great. a if you're like a regular run of the mill average Joe investor who just got into this because you thought you know, maybe I I've been like saving up during the pandemic. Maybe I can start to build up something by investing in AMC. Like, unless you got it in like the very early wave. Like, basically everything that company did has screwed you over pretty drastically since. Um, 
I, I, I don't know that Amazon is in a great position to do that right at this moment, at least mm-hmm. just within the last few days, because for whatever reason, Amazon or sorry, AMC's stock price rather has kind of shot up dramatically. I think it's nearing like $20 a share now, which was pretty much the high of like the early hypey phase of the AMC right. stock. So I, I don't think we can rule that out. And honestly, it just feels like a very savvy play for Amazon who has more money than God and willing to just like splash out for basically anything. For sure. But mm-hmm. I look as long as I, I I don't love the idea of Amazon just owning everything like every physical and That's cultural terrifying. touch point. Yeah. But at the same time, like if <laughs> the way the way I look at it, Amazon is extremely not great in some ways. But if mm-hmm. they can contribute in some small way to the prolonging, the continuance of you know theaters as an experience, as a cultural touch point. That's that's maybe something to look forward to. Maybe not celebrated because mm-hmm. one company shouldn't have control over all of this stuff. But I don't know. I would like my kids to be able to go to a movie theater someday and like eat mm-hmm. popcorn and take in that entire experience. Like maybe this is how it's done. Maybe this is yeah. how that survives. And maybe it'll be done uh, just like the Amazon grocery stores where you just walk in. You oh know, and you don't so have to great. swipe anything and you sit down, you get charged for the seat. And yes. Yeah. Oh, the, you could just you walk up to the concessions counter and just like get yeah. your own popcorn. So I'm sure no, that is that is I'm sure like Jeff Bezos walked into a movie theater one day. was like, what is all this friction? Why am I waiting in <laughs> line? All I need I, my popcorn. You know, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos will not stand for this. I am buying this franchise. Uh, yeah. If he if he comes up with a more discreet way to pump butter into your popcorn, so people can't see how much butter you're pumping into your popcorn, <laughs> I I would I would go pump Amazon. it up from the bottom. Actually, it's actually a valve in the bottom, and you just like yeah, stick it in there. <laughs> oh man, let's just say we we haven't really talked about this too much. I do think like if Amazon bought theaters, they would try to go the frictionless route. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think like a part of the problem with Amazon right now is that they have kind of, it has kind of spoiled us with sort of frictionless online uh, purchases and things like that. So like that is where we're seeing the uh, you know I guess the line between really smart and convenient tech where it can actually start to have a human impact on the workers because for that frictionless experience, mm-hmm. Amazon is demanding workers to work harder than ever. You know, they're really pushing people. We've seen this, uh, these reports from Amazon warehouses, the cost of convenience is getting higher and higher every year. And I don't know, I don't know what that would end up being like for theaters, but I also don't want to see these chains. end. so the theater world has had like different stages. Mm-hmm. The, the giant multiplexes did not really exist before the 90s you know i i don't think Jesus, young folks I did not realize that yeah people don't really realize that but giant multiplexes like the way you see them now pre-1995 were not really prevalent everywhere and then amc and regal and a lot of other companies kind of swooped in and made these things happen um but before that it was like smaller smaller movie houses so where i grew up in hartford we didn't have a big movie theater anywhere close to us for a while hmm. um so yeah I do think the movie theater and movie going world is going to change. It's going to be interesting to see how Amazon goes about changing that. But you know what? Let us know what you guys think. Would you want Amazon to own movie theaters? You want them to buy AMC? Shoot us an email at podcastandgadget.com. Let's move on to something I think you're probably more savvy with chris like something you've probably been hey, thinking about too I, I know movie i saw a movie once maybe. you're the mobile guy and you know mobile <laughs> hardware you thanks know for pigeonholing me pal god 
It's in your title. Valve is reportedly making a Switch-like portable gaming PC. Thoughts on this? Because I have many, to be honest. Yeah. I would love to hear what you think, but like... I, I think there's a chance for this to do well. There's no shortage of like other, primarily Chinese brands, right? So like GPD yep, yep. does these. Uh, just just this past CES, we spoke to the CEO of Lenovo Japan, a Canadian guy who just was cool <laughs> hanging out after I asked him via Twitter uh -huh. DM, and they're they're working on something very similar too. It's like a, it's like a basically a tiny netbook that you can strap into like Steam controllers. So clearly there is some demand. Uh, especially in specific markets like Japan and China, where you, you people are kind of clamoring for this high-end gaming experience on the go. I But literally every experience I've ever had with Steam hardware, with the exception yeah. of maybe like the Valve Index stuff, which I've never touched, like it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So do you think that they're in any better position now to make this happen? I will say the the hardware is out there. Uh, I covered, what was the Dell Alienware thing? Was it the UFO um, but oh, the concept thing? Yeah. The concept. So. It was the mm. UFO concept two years ago at CES. And, uh, you know, Dell and Alienware showed off this thing that was just a giant, ugly <laughs> switch, basically, <laughs> with a bad controller. But it had, you know, a decent graphics card in there. It had a PC chip. Like, it was this weird Frankenstein monster. I hated, I hated holding it and looking at it. But clearly, we have the hardware here, and Nintendo has proved with the Switch that you could do a lot with a tiny portable machine and you know modern system on the chip uh, hardware. You know, like the, the what we're seeing now from Apple's N1 or something, something on that level, right? Could produce like could power a really nice little portable gaming machine. Also, the way we're playing games is changing because uh, we're seeing more streaming titles out there coming from like. Xbox, Game Pass, cloud streaming, and uh, was it Google's thing? Which nobody, Stadia? No way. Stadia. It's and Amazon Luna. There's a lot. So let me just say this. If you have a smartphone, it is not that hard to buy a little gaming controller adapter. Uh, I have the Backbone, which is available for iPhone. It's like a really cool, uh, it basically turns your iPhone into a switch, right? You snap it in, uh, you plug in your iPhone in the middle, gives you two grips, a all the nice buttons you need. And then I could just jump in and go play any game, but also I can stream games from my Steam PC at home while I'm at home, which is using Steam streaming uh, built-in stuff. So you can already do some of this on modern devices, but I could see if Valve can make a, a device that is, you know, sub 300, potentially even sub 200, uh, just like, hey, buy this thing. And you can stream your games. And if they made game streaming easier, both from your PCs and maybe straight from Steam itself, that could be pretty useful. I feel like that could be a big deal. But I, I don't know. Have you tried the, the Valve Index V? No, I haven't. Uh, mm -hmm. I just haven't really had the chance. And frankly, I don't really have the hardware since I can't buy any good GPUs. Somebody should have come over when I had it set up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you for shaming me for only coming yes. to your apartment once. Final shame. The final shaming. The final so, shaming. Yeah. This is this is not the final shame. You'll have more opportunities. But I, I want to ask. So looking through uh, the Ars Technica story, Ars Technica had the exclusive, really good yep. work from them. Um, it, it doesn't seem clear to what extent this, the Steam Pal, I guess is the code name. It's not clear <laughs> to what extent the Steam Pal is meant to be a streaming machine, right? Like right, they, right. they do note that it's probably going to run a system on a chip coming from either Intel or AMD. That's in pretty stark contrast to what uh, Nintendo is doing with the Switch, which obviously uses a NVIDIA chipset. Mm -hmm. So 
it seems like power will be less of a concern, right? Like this probably, if you were able to hook it up to a TV, and it does seem like that is one of the the priorities that Valve is working on. Like you'd probably be able to get like proper mm-hmm. 4K out of this thing. So I'm I'm curious to what extent like Valve is trying to to divvy up priorities mm-hmm. here. Like it sounds like yeah. maybe we could get some decent performance out of this. And we have seen again from companies like GPD and now Lenovo with their weird little netbook thing. Like they have 11th gen Intel processors. Like they should be able to play games relatively well. Some simple I, games, yeah. 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 I will say though, like streaming has gotten a pretty bad rap but i've really i will say i will go on the Uh record as saying i've really enjoyed stadia i've played the entirety of cyberpunk 2077 on a galaxy z2 fold or whatever the hell please don't tell me this just like docked (laughs) inside a little janky 40 dollar bluetooth controller it was great man like you're like the future it's it's not bad i i i was like going home for christmas Uh and just like played it on the train it was that's cool like you played it fine. on the train. You were for, streaming uh, while on the train too for like Amazing. for like a little bit for like five minutes. <laughs> but the power, just knowing that I just can. The power. I can imagine um, this being similar to something like the Switch, where you have decent low power for like simpler games, right, and minimalist games. But streaming, especially if you're streaming within the home and you're not going out and hitting Valve servers or something somewhere, if you're just streaming from your existing PC. That is actually much more doable within modern home networks and it's super mm-hmm. smooth. And also they are basically, they killed off the Steam link, which was kind of their previous way to get Steam games over to your TV. I can imagine if this is just like a future Steam link that is that also has a screen, basically. Like what if this is the thing you could take around the house, but also dock it next to your TV and pipe over, you know, 4K streaming or at least something better than 1080p to your TV, even 1440p. That's really all you need. Right. But what if this could be something you walk around the house with and play some games, which is how I know most people use the Switch, but then dock it and stream, you know, stuff from your library straight to your TV. That sort of seamlessness could be cool. And hey, I I think Valve has like a a mixed history with hardware, but I think the Index is still, for me, my favorite uh, PC VR headset. So the the things you actually have to plug in. The Index is good hardware and Valve tends to go, they tend to lean hard on like their premium stuff. So that's the question. Is this going to be like a premium sort of portable PC device? They could probably do it because I think diehard PC gamers would pay 500 bucks, you know, for a sleek thing that lets them play their games anywhere in the home and maybe even remotely. Like if you're, if you're streaming from home, it is not even as hard to get it, treat your computer as a server, play stuff remotely. Then it just depends on your ISP. Right. So there's a lot of things they could do with this, but looking at the state of mobile hardware V like, do you think we'll be seeing more devices like this moving forward? I think that frankly has a little less Mm -hmm. to do with the hardware. Cause like the hardware, I Uh think is fair to say we're there. Like Apple's got stuff going on with the, the M1, uh, Arm just recently announced like new Arm core designs that could be used by any of the companies that license their stuff. So that's a pretty big audience right there. The hardware, we could definitely do this. I think it's really just a matter of figuring out, you know, do we do we want to be able to try and take on Nintendo in a space like this uh, with the with their Switch mm-hmm. has just been is it, is it even taking on Nintendo? Like, that's the thing. Is it well, take, so, it's just like value for, for PC gamers? Yeah, sh- sure. But like. I think just yesterday, or maybe even this morning, like we mm-hmm. we just got another report from Bloomberg about the sort of pro grade switch with that right, OLED right. display. Like it, 
might it might look like Nintendo is gearing up to just get new hardware out on the market, kind of get people on board who maybe sure. hadn't invested before, and maybe give this thing a skosh more power, which would help it in in theory at least kind of take on these sort of higher grade portable gaming machines. But to your point earlier, like that seamless kind of games game playing style, I hadn't really thought about. But and I, now that I'm chewing on it, like that does really make sense for. Me, like I've got a decent sized TV, but I don't want to sit in mm-hmm. front of it all of the time. Right. And right. like just bopping around from room to room, like laying in bed or just like hanging out on the couch away from my television, because you don't need your TV on all the time. That that is actually a lot more powerful than I had that I had anticipated. Like it hits mm-hmm. me in kind of a gut place. So I would love yep. for Valve to kind of move in that direction. If you're feeling that, by the way, and you're an iPhone customer or iPhone user, check out the Backbone controller. I bought one. Uh, it is very similar to the Razer Kishi, which was their like plug Ooh, in, yeah. you know, plug your iPhone into yeah, that yeah. thing. I don't. The Kishi feels kind of flimsy, and I don't like the way the buttons feel. But the Backbone feels like a freaking Nintendo controller that you basically stick your iPhone into. So that makes it. It was. Gr- I've played some like Apple Arcade games with that thing, but it's also really good for anything streaming, like any big streaming game. And I played some Steam streamed games on my iPhone from my gaming PC, which is kind of cool too. So there's going to be a lot happening here, folks, especially when it comes to mobile gaming. But, you know, stay tuned. We'll be keeping an eye on all of this. Let's move on to some other news. Microsoft is having its Build Developer Conference this week. Um, you you probably didn't hear much about it because there, there's just not much news coming out of this thing. Uh, but there are a couple of things I wanted to just pull out. So they did talk about um, some collaborative app upgrades for Teams. And this is something Microsoft has been doing for the past year and actually probably for even longer. There's like a mini app store within Teams. So uh, organizations can add in things like Asana, you know, compatibility within Microsoft Teams, which is their like Slack-like competitor. So it's kind of hard to put into words, but it's almost like, imagine if Microsoft just wanted to build a Windows for work, you know, like an overall platform that companies could launch and bring in other apps and do work, uh, you know, within it. Um, These apps would let you do things like uh, handle your Asana tasks within a Microsoft Teams video meeting, you know, just kind of put it all in one place. And there's also like all sorts of different ways this could be useful. Uh, companies could even build their own little apps to make teams, you know, work better for them and work better for their workflow. But the idea is that Microsoft Teams is becoming more than just, hey, Slack, you know, it is becoming a little platform of its own. The other cool thing is these apps are cross compatible. So if somebody built something for Teams on Windows side, it, it should just work on the Mac side and iOS and everything. So it is weird how Teams has transitioned to being like a bit of a platform of its own, especially when like I think people just love to rag on it. Although apparently it's very popular, according to Microsoft. I, do you have any <laughs> thoughts, V? <laughs> I've, I've used Teams once or twice. Yeah. It seems perfectly passable, but I'm it's curious. Fine. So when, when Google I.O. was happening, you were, yep. uh, you were like up first with news. And I think the first thing you hit was Google Workspace. So do you see any real kind of crossover between what Google's trying to do with Smart Canvas and what's happening with Teams here? It, it kind of mm-hmm. from like a high-level perspective sounds sort of similar, but I'm sure mm-hmm. there's more going on here that I'm not super privy to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think – so we've seen a generation of office apps right and we've seen several generations of office apps like you go back to uh to like the 80s and the 90s you know and it, w- it was you know there there were things that just made spreadsheets 
easier to deal with, right? Microsoft right. Word mm-hmm. made writing a document much simpler than it used to be in older word processors. In the mid-2000s, I think Google ushered in the era of putting those apps you know, on the web so that you can collaborate, collaborate with people in real time within a single document. So that's like, I think, the, fir- the first real stage of real-time collaboration because before that you had to like send docs to other people right they would track changes it would be like a back and forth and you'd just be like bouncing a file uh, over email you know for weeks or something this to me seems like the next stage of where we're headed so it is both the you know real-time collaborative nature of google docs plus like the the bigger power that you get from a dedicated app like teams uh or or like a real office app so basically You'd be able to work on files in different ways. Microsoft has been talking about this thing called Fluid Framework, which is just them trying to reassess what an Office document is. And Fluid Framework components are basically things like tables and charts that you could plug into one document. But when you make an edit on that within that document, if that chart is linked somewhere else on like a spreadsheet or something or an email, those changes would immediately show up over there. So it's sort of like deconstructing a document and taking those components in ways where multiple people can work on them from anywhere. Hmm. And I think this is going to be a harder thing to wrap our heads around. Uh, Smart Canvas from Google just feels like a, you know, a slight upgrade over Google Docs and Google Sheets and everything. That'll let you do things like tag tasks to people or pull in a Google Meets video call right alongside your Google Doc. But we're going to see more and more of this. I feel like that's where we're headed. Um, none of this may make sense to you now and probably won't even be relevant to you until like you're in a workplace that's, you know, using this stuff. But I think in terms of the way we work, it is, it's worth noting, like office apps are important to white collar jobs and a lot of jobs and schools and things like that. So the seeing the way we work change to me is kind of fascinating, but Hey, it's build, you know, I'm just going to scrape and take whatever cool like semi consumer (laughs) news I can get. Because you you covered something around uh, a green software initiative too, which I think is cool, but may not actually affect consumers much. Yeah, the Green Software Foundation. So this was uh, to back up for anyone who hasn't mm-hmm. heard, Microsoft, along with uh, ThoughtWorks, the Linux Foundation, uh, a few other companies, plus uh, additional nonprofits like the Green Web Foundation and Goldman Sachs, just decided they wanted in on this too. They've they've developed what they're calling the Green Software Foundation, which is at its core sort of an advocacy group meant to kind of encourage new practices and, and developing sort of new ways to make software development more sustainable, which on the surface sounds a little strange, right? Because if you're sitting at your desk and you're writing code, like that snippet of code has virtually no like real environmental impact. But you've got to figure this code winds up, I mean, it could be running on massive data centers, which Mm -hmm. already, I think- When you commit it, it goes to server somewhere, it gets backed up, like there's all these steps along the way, yeah. Yeah, and then once it gets pushed into production, if it does wind Mm -hmm. up in like a big sprawling complex, I mean, those those data centers roughly account for around 1% of like global electricity demand as it is. And and the forecast for, for that sort of energy use is expected to rise pretty significantly in the next 10 years. So there there is definitely value in thinking about how to minimize impact on hardware and just sort of figure out ways to make the process of developing software a little more eco-friendly. But I, mm-hmm. I will I do have to say like this this sounds 
great. Like I'm all for sustainability. Microsoft, obviously a company that is committed to going fully, I believe carbon negative by 2030. So they're being very aggressive in how they approach uh, just sort of their overall function, their overall structure. But I got to tell you, reading the news, I, I got, I got very little. Like I, yeah, like what yeah. is green software? What is sustainable sure, software? Sure. Like this is finding news too- from Build. Yeah. by the way, it's like yeah, yeah. I read through over fifty pages of like news that Microsoft was dropping, but uh, hey, it was all mostly developer stuff because this is a developer conference, so th- that's just how it goes. One tidbit that I think people got really interested in though is Satya Nadella, Microsoft CEO confirmed that the company is working on a next generation of Windows, which to me just seemed like, yeah, of, of course they are. Um, but people got excited when he mentioned it at Build. We didn't even get a glimpse of it, right? He just said there's uh, there's cool things. He's been testing out for a while. He's incredibly excited about it. His quote specifically is, soon we will share one of the most significant updates to Windows of the past decade to unlock greater economic opportunity for developers and creators. Um, to me, this sounds like the uh, the up the rumors of Microsoft kind of changing the store, the window, the Microsoft huh. store on Windows, and potentially the way it works for developers, and maybe the way even people, you know, can access apps or something. But it's been when did Windows 10 drop? Wasn't that like 2014? God, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I wrote that review for us, so I got to look up that timing. But <laughs> it has been a while, so. If Microsoft was going to do a next generation version of Windows, which I'd predict just just call it Windows, you know, make it a they basically turned Windows 10 into this perpetual uh, OS that is updated very quickly. There are, you know, there are major updates a couple times a year, but it's not the sort of thing where uh, it's not I, like I Apple, like these things don't get names. They're just yeah. like baked into the fabric of Windows very mm-hmm. seamlessly. And that's it. Right. That's it. And uh, to me, that seamlessness is good. I think Windows 10 as an OS is pretty solid. They've really like streamlined their interfaces down from the like, you know, Windows 8 certainly days and (laughs) Windows Vista days. So I think Windows 10 is like a good starting point for Microsoft to do new things. We did just talk about them killing off the idea of doing Windows 10X, which was this OS kind of switched up for dual display devices. I... We'll see. We'll see what's happening. I feel like just calling this thing Windows or making a next generation OS that works great across single screen and dual screen devices and mobile, maybe even, um, is probably the best way to go. Uh, what, what do you think about this, V? Like, how much of a Windows guy are you? You know, it's funny. I was going to say, mm-hmm. I fairly recently built myself a gaming PC. I'm talking to you now from like, Congrats. I, bought, I bought an Intel NUC just because I wanted like a little. <laughs> Little computer guy. Which nook? Oh god, I don't. I don't know. It's got like an i seven. It's a couple years old. I got it. I got it pretty <laughs> okay. cheap. But like that's what I'm using right now. So going from like the way that we work within the context of like Verizon mm-hmm. Media, like more often than not, you'll get a Mac. You probably have like mm-hmm. an iPhone as like a work phone. Like it's. I've spent a long time very much steeped in like the Apple ecosystem. But I've I've like started to move away from that now that I'm like starting to piece together like big setups for myself. And I gotta mm-hmm. say. Using Windows 10 now in 2021 is such a joy compared mm-hmm. to not even Windows 8, which was just a disaster, but just like <laughs> even even when Windows 10 launched, as you pointed out, in 2015 is when you wrote 2015. that review. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's come a long way. And I've honestly really kind of prefer it over Macs, honestly. Mm-hmm. So so if 
what you're saying is possible. If Microsoft is able to develop one single unified OS that can run across its full breadth of devices, like I wasn't ready for it before. And I feel like that's probably true of a lot of people, but Microsoft is not the entity that it used to be. Like, yeah, I am finally ready to buy in if they can make this work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listen, I'm excited about this too. Uh, I just did a, uh, like a slight rebuild of my computer. I, I moved up from an Intel 8700K uh, system. I spent Monday tearing apart my motherboard uh, and my PC to upgrade to an AMD, uh, was it a 5800X system? So, you know, there is, uh, there's a lot to, to be set for like what you can do with Windows. And I, I want more power for this platform because I spend most of my time within Windows, even though I have a work laptop and everything. I want to play games. You know, I want to do like the high end stuff. I want to use like <laughs> high refresh rate monitors and things that you can't easily do on Macs right now. Mainly games. I want games. I want the flexibility of like what Windows offer offers. And I also grew up on Windows. So it's like this is my home. You know, right. I feel most comfortable within PCs here. Uh, but yeah, you know what, folks? Tell us what you think. Are you a Windows head? Are you a Mac head? What would you like to see from the next generation of Windows? And what would you like Microsoft to avoid? Because we all remember Windows Vista and Windows 8. There, there are certainly a lot of places they could go where things can go bad. So shoot us an email at podcastandgadget.com. By the way, Windows Vista wasn't that bad. Shut up. What? It wasn't. <laughs> what? <laughs> You, you, it was really bad. It was bad compared to XP, but it, on on its own, <laughs> on its own merits, was not that unpleasant to be around. It was it was nice. It was more it was bloated. I think that was the thing. Like Windows mm-hmm. Vista was bloated. Uh, I had to help support Windows Vista when I was an IT guy. Oh, it was okay. not well, no fun. Wonder. <laughs> it was not fun. Like Fair. it was basically like, hey, XP just works. It's kind of it's not like well designed. It's not like as passion forward as OS 10 was, but it was cool. It worked. And then Windows Vista just like added a layer of gunk on top of what was already working on XP. Uh, and then we got seven, right? Which I think that was a joy. Seven was good. Yeah. Seven was good. Seven was like nice and clean <laughs> and core windows. Then they did eight and I was in, uh, I was in at mobile world Congress in 2012 where they oh, showed man. off like some of the first bits of windows eight and it was this crazy idea. It was like, hey, tablets are a thing now, you know, right? Like smartphones are a thing. Let's build this interface that could be great across all these devices. I don't think Windows 8 worked out very well because they forgot people like the desktop. So I'm interested. I'm interested yeah. in where Microsoft is going. Shoot us an email, folks. Let us know what you think about all this. You probably ran into a very <laughs> young Velasco at that NWC. <laughs> <laughs> when I still felt Were the you... need to like dress nicely for work and stuff. <laughs> oh man, I don't. I it was just like a haze. But hey, that was my first Mobile World Congress, and oh, uh, it made me love Barcelona, love that place. So I would love to go back there someday when things are safer. Let it, let us know if you'd like <laughs> us to do a special podcast episode live from Barcelona. <laughs> Let's talk about one more bit of news, which I thought was really cool. So uh, the USB Implementers Forum announced a 240 watt version of USB-C, which is basically doubling its power because right now USB-C is limited to 100 watts of power. So I I don't know if you have deep thoughts about this, Chris, but uh, (laughs) let me just say, like, as somebody who reviews laptops, I'm distinctly noticing the limitations of where we are with USB-C charging, right? It is the thing we all wanted. We want a single cable to charge our phones and charge our laptops and tablets and everything. But USB-C is mainly only good for ultra portables, you know, or very mainstream computers because sure. 100 watts of charging 
if you have a dedicated GPU, you know, if you have a really powerful dedicated GPU in your system, uh, 100 watts of power is not going to cut it. That could mean that if you're charging over USB-C, uh, you're actually losing power because your system mm-hmm. is drawing more power. So that was a problem, I believe, with the Surface Book 3 for a while where Microsoft, like, there was too, it was drawing too much power than its charging was providing. Um, so you typically see USB-C, you know, adapters on lower power notebooks like ultra portables i review a lot of gaming notebooks and those things still come with giant ac power bricks because they (laughs) need to provide 200 to 300 watts of power you know so even though gaming laptops have gotten smaller and smaller they still need to push a lot of power and that also means they still need a separate power you know pin port on these computers so maybe uh, the, the, this USB-C change means we could have future power adapters that could also do that high power over USB-C. They'll still probably be very big because mm-hmm. that's just physics. You need like a big unit to actually drive a lot of power. But at least, hey, you won't need both a USB-C port and a uh, AC adapter port on your system. How, wh- what do you think about this? Look, man, I'm stoked for it. Like I've gotten within the last couple months i think i've gone fully all in on like gallium nitride chargers like i've replaced every really? oh really? for sure i mean like uh-huh. they, they can be somewhat pricey but like there are great ones from like 50 60 bucks even mm-hmm. below that now and what's and the big benefit for you just like faster charging it's faster charging so most of mine are like in the 65 to 85 watt range but mm-hmm. they're but they're also tiny like they're they're yeah, just like yeah, they're so small exactly yeah. so I don't know what's going on with Gallium Nitrate. I'm not a material scientist. I'm sure my parents <laughs> would have loved it if I had done that instead. But, you know, if we're able to kind of continue that pace and kind of continue building that really, really powerful charging bricks that are super portable, that can output two four. Like, I'm, I'm down. Like, I will reset my entire setup again. Because, like, to your point, mm-hmm. I, I am not like a gaming laptop person. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this probably are. But, you know... For me, most days, it's like if I have to use a portable machine, it's going to be like the work MacBook Pro. And that, you know, that ships with like an 85 watt charger to start with. So, yeah, it's it's all a bit wasted (laughs) on me. But if I can just sort of pare down, like if I could bring one 240 watt gallium nitride charger with a couple Mm -hmm. USB-C ports, just have one of those on a trip and charge Mm -hmm. everything Maybe not that fast, because if you're splitting (laughs) the load, it can be a little hinky. But just... I'm I'm really looking forward to like one single all-in-one charger and then never having to worry about carrying around multiple bricks and multiple adapters yeah. again. Like that sounds beautiful. It's really the adapters. Like when I did, when I first started doing tech journalism, right? And I started doing CES and stuff. I was like, oh man, I need a portable battery of some kind, right? Yeah. And I bought this like <laughs> Energizer thing that was a, like a two or three pound brick, but it had like, 20 different AC adapters that you could attach to it oh, to charge man, your laptop. I remember these. That helped me survive CES for several years. I was also running like one of those Intel laptops back then that were like super low power too. <laughs> it was like a thin Aces. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it was uh, it was not fun to cover CES like that. Now we have machines that can last for over 15 hours, you know, and charge over a single beautiful cable like USB-C. Things are so much easier now. I feel like people aren't really recognizing that. PCs are good now. 
for sure. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. to be to be absolutely clear, like your experience at the depths of CES, the depths, the dark bowels Man. of Las Vegas with your gigantic Energizer battery, that <laughs> that leads to developing a kind of character that might not exist anymore. Like you you pushed computing to its mobile <laughs> limits at the time. And that is to be respected, my friend. Oh, uh, I'm sure I'm sure we all did, but man, it was not fun. Let <laughs> me tell you that. <laughs> CS is not a fun thing to do, uh, but lugging oh, around a giant it. battery. You miss it. I do, I kind of miss hanging out with everybody. So you know what? Another thing I miss is uh Computex. So let's talk about what we're working on. Computex is happening sort of virtually next week. Um, we know there are going to be some big keynotes from companies like uh, AMD and NVIDIA. I basically upgraded my computer to get ready for whatever is dropping from there because I have a feeling <laughs> we'll see some new hardware. So I, I got to be able to test, folks. I need I need something better than a 2017-era Intel CPU to, to do that. So... Stay tuned for news. We're going to have a lot coming out of Computex. I also want to shout out uh, my piece w- about Moxie, which is the the robot companion for kids I've talked about. I showed it on the stream a couple weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago, it's called "Living with Moxie: The Robot Companion for Kids." Uh, check out this piece. Uh, I basically like wrote up my experience living with it for a couple of weeks. Uh, my sadly, my toddler is too terrified of it to, act- to actually play with it, so I spend a lot of time. <laughs> Just talking to Moxie um, and like j- just learning to love it. And I shot like a quick video on Twitter too. So if you check on my Twitter, you'll probably find it there. But it's me just like talking to it for two minutes. And, <laughs> you know, this thing, it's cute. It's cute. It is a cool, vibrant looking robot. The animation, like the movement of its arms and head and everything feels very organic. It feels like a Pixar character come to life it has like a giant screen for a face but that also allows them to like animate it in ways that are really expressive so i found it cool it does cost fifteen hundred dollars after the first year there is a subscription like a monthly subscription of either 40 to 60 dollars a month so it is an investment i hear they're going to be talking about rentals and stuff soon so maybe that could be more of a thing for parents but yeah this is a device meant to help kids learn to, you know, be a little more social meant to like, you know, be a companion to lonely kids. I could also see it being useful for like neurodivergent kids too, who may need a little more help when it comes to things like socialization, uh, maybe things like helping them learn to read and things like that. Like this robot could be cool. And I, I just think it's really, it's really cute, but I did find it hilarious that my daughter was just like, Nope, this is a Terminator. And, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna mess with this. Goodbye. Chris, what are you working on? Hang on real quick about the Moxie. Yeah. Is it a little yeah. weird to you that like, so I'm looking at your video on Twitter yep. and, and just like the quality of like the facial animation, the expressions, like it's, it, it's alive. Yeah. It feels, is that not like a little unsettling? Like I, I would personally feel, and I granted, I know that this is a device for kids and like clearly they <laughs> respond to this, but like if it were yeah. up to me and I had a robot in my house, it would be a bit more do you remember Jibo? Like the sort of yeah, Jibo. Yeah, it'd be a bit more Jibo, like where you have personality, but it's clearly like not trying to emulate a human's facial. Jibo, here's the thing: like we are we are broken machines, and our our own evolution <laughs> causes us to personify everything. So Jibo was just like a circle, right? It was just like a circle on like a screen, Basically, and that was yeah. how it communicated. And we started to treat that like a like a living thing. This just like has eyes and a mouth and expressions. And I find that to be kind of kind of cool. Like it is like a next step up from Jibo. But yeah, we're humans and we will personify literally everything, you know, because we ha- we have to give agency to everything unless it's a rock. 
So yeah, that's wigging me <laughs> out a little bit. Uh, <laughs> as for what I'm working on, not not a ton. I'm just kind of taking it easy. I will say um, mm-hmm. WWDC is happening quite soon. So I'll be yeah. working on a preview of everything to expect. So if you want to learn more about kind of, you know, what we think Apple is going to announce or, and, or at the very least what we hope Apple is going to announce, stay tuned mm-hmm. for both the written story there and the video. I've also just been horsing around on e-bikes. I learned how to ride a bike during <laughs> the pandemic, which is one wait, of wait, the Wait, wait, pro- wait. Let's take a step back. Okay, fine. You learned how to ride yes. a bike. Mm-hmm. Not just an, an e-bike, but you learned how to ride a bike during bikes, the pandemic. Bikes, first period. of all, bikes in general. Yes. Congrats, Thank congrats you. on doing it. How uh, how many scraped knees did you get? None. I only it? I only beefed it once. Okay, it, it was that's on, not uh, learning how to ride a bike. I have scars on my knees from childhood bike accidents. Look, I can't help it if I was just really good at it as a thirty-two year old. <laughs> that probably helped too. As a grown up, just yeah. like having an intellectual understanding of oh, okay, if I do this, then that happens. Yeah, mm-hmm. that helped a lot. You, you didn't just go flying off of boards that you made as ramps, you know, into nothing. Look, I'm not saying my, man, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying my experience was perfect. I, <laughs> I do kind of wish I had just like done this as a child, right? But like, yeah, yeah immig- immigrant great. family, like we were all super busy, like we didn't really have time for that. But I did it, and yeah. now I'm just like putzing around on e-bikes. So stay tuned for some interesting e-bike stuff coming oh, up. Cool. Soon. Which uh, can you say, or is it embargoed? I don't know. I think it's important. Okay. So let's suffice it to okay. say, I rode a bike and I feel really good about it. You rode a bike. It's really good. I uh, So kind of in that vein, I'm going to be at some point getting the RAV power, RAD wagon oh, to shoot. test out, which is, I want to, I also want to see what e-bikes are like for, uh, for families, right? I want to strap Sophia onto the bike, want to ride around, want to use it as like a cargo bike. My wife does not drive. But we do. We live in a neighborhood where she could conceivably like ride a bike quickly to a grocery store mm-hmm. or something, and an e-bike would be so much better because it's like pedal assist. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. pedaling everything for a full size bike. That would be super useful to her. Dev, so, yeah, I, I'm going to be testing that out soon. I yeah. I feel like what I just rode the other day is exactly mm-hmm. what your family could use. Okay. So I'll we'll we'll okay. talk about this once we shut the podcast down. <laughs> <laughs> once we shut it down all right thank you so much v let's uh let's keep going actually let's go on to our in gadget picks what uh what do you want to shout out in terms of pop culture this week so this happened last week but it stuck with me it was a very pivotal mm-hmm. moment for me because it was the first time in my life that i had ever managed to watch the eurovision grand finals oh wow congrats Thank you very much. It's yeah. it's always the kind of thing you just sort of catch up on YouTube after the fact. For anyone who doesn't know, Eurovision is the sort of a Europe-wide song contest that does typically include Israel and Australia as well. Basically, mm-hmm. each country votes on their own representative song, and then they all go and compete to figure out what the best song of Europe is. Um, I, I feel like Americans finally know what it is because of the Will Ferrell movie, which yes. really sold the concept. Yeah, which is a fun movie, to be which honest. Yeah, I, I will never watch it. What? I, will, I will never watch that. Movie. It's a fun movie. What are you I, talking about? I take Eurovision so seriously. Oh my god, you're like Sherlin in karaoke. <laughs> this is why I can't go to karaoke anymore with Sherlin. But yeah, <laughs> look, I've had to deal with it for. You just have to put up with it. Like you just have to know that she's going to be really good, and the rest of us are going to be fine at best. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what is funny about the Eurovision movie is that it the songs are actually pretty good. Like the the main song in that movie was nominated for an Oscar. And I was actually like secretly rooting, like I want the Eurovision song to win an Oscar because no it would be hilarious. To be about it, that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So uh, again, noting that I have not seen the movie, Yaya <laughs> Ding Dong was like a thing that came up in that 
yeah. a bunch of times. And the delegation from Iceland, when it came time for each country to allot their points to the countries that they thought did their song best, uh, Iceland just just made like 12 yaya ding-dong jokes in a row. And it was the worst thing I'd ever seen, especially because I was really rooting for Iceland to win. They had... Mm-hmm. What was to me the best song that would have been in Eurovision 2020, <laughs> but they canceled it, so you can't like it didn't happen. Those Aww. guys came back. Dari Freyr or Gagnamagnid <laughs> is like the name. Dari Freyr and the Data Plan essentially. They came mm-hmm. back this year. I think they came in like fourth <laughs> or fifth. I was crushed, but Italy won Eurovision for the first time, I believe, since like maybe 1990. It's been quite a while, so mm-hmm. a lot of emotions going here. I was very wait, wait, wait. So. You're you're a dedicated Eurovision fan, but this is your first time seeing it live. Well, so I don't know. He, I don't know. Out. In the <laughs> within the past few years, like I think uh-huh. some cable channels got the rights to, to yes. broadcast. I yes. think I think Logo had it for a while, mm-hmm. which is like great, but maybe not super accessible if you're like me and don't feel like paying for cable television ever. So this was the first year that it was available on Peacock, and I believe you can now still go uh. back and watch the replay on this largely free streaming service in America. So if you have some time to kill and want to watch some yaya ding dong jokes or or just watch Italy just like crush it. Like sorry, I'm going way too in depth into this. But the way it works is <laughs> each country has, you know, uh, a bucket of points to a lot to the other countries that they thought did well. It's a very political process. So like it doesn't always feel great. But then the then like the public vote comes in. And all of a sudden, everything you knew from that first round of voting is just gone. Like Italy went from like fifth or sixth to the top spot and held onto it the entire time just because the people of Europe really enjoyed watching uh, Italian rock stars who may or may not have done coke during or after Eurovision 2021. I mean, I just just assume I just assume they had. Listen, if you're (laughs) an American and you don't know what we're talking about, uh. Maybe do check out the Eurovision movie. (laughs) It's called the Eurovision Song Contest, the story of fire saga. I think it's pretty funny um, as far as like modern Will Ferrell movies go. And also it's really, it has Rachel McAdams, who I think is hilarious when she tries to be funny. And Dan Stevens, Mr. Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, who is just turned into like a great actor who's done all sorts of like different genres. So I love Dan Stevens. Check out that movie and check out the last Eurovision on Peacock. I just want to quickly shout out something I've been watching. I've been making my way through Master of None season three. And this is the, you know, the fabled Aziz Ansari Netflix show, which came, it's coming back like four or five years, I think after the last season. And certainly mm. after like he had like a, yeah, like a bad experience because of uh, the article that went down about him and his awful, awful date and how he treated that date. So that's a, I think a lot of people have a lot of feelings in terms of how you're going to reapproach Aziz Ansari right. stuff. I watched his last stand-up special. I think he acknowledged everything he did wrong and is trying to make good. For this season of Master of None, he is barely on screen too because the series typically was about his character Dev, mm-hmm. uh, who was just like a cool, you know, Brooklyn guy. He was like a young actor. He lived like the cool hipster life in Williamsburg. Um, this season is all about Lena Waithe's character and she was in the the show from the beginning, but it is more about her and her wife and they're living basically, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, V, but Mm -hmm. I think they're living the like Brooklyn ideal upgrade, you know, like they're in upstate New York in a cute farmhouse, you know, with like chickens and like she can write and it's just like so idyllic. 
Um, so it moves out of Williamsburg and into that environment and is all about Lena Waithe's character and her relationship with her wife. And I think it is, um, it is astounding television. It is less of a comedy than Master of None was originally. It is at times devastating. It is full on drama at times. But I also think like they still know these characters really well. Hmm. Deb, the character shows up uh, a bit and you get to see where he is at and, it is unfortunately not a great place, um, but it's like a very realistic, if Master of None season one and two was like this, you know, the, the hipster dream of being mm. in your 20s and being in New York and, you know, having a decent amount of money and a cool apartment and being able to like hang out with your friends all night and do all sorts of things. Master of None season two, I believe he was in like Italy yes. and they just made like a black and white Italian neorealist mm. film with him. Uh, this season feels more like, you know, another type of European drama, right? It feels like scenes from a marriage or something. So it is is definitely worth watching. But uh, yeah, strap yourself in because it is also emotionally devastating. Whoa. That's my recommendation, I folks. could use that, though. You could use that. That's nice I sometimes. did also see... Yeah, it is nice. It's nice to, like, make yourself cry, and this thing will make yourself cry. Uh, I also saw Army of... Uh, what is it? Army of the Dead which was really bad. I'm not going to talk about that. Do okay. not watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Go listen to my review on the slash Filmcast If you want to hear about army of the dead, but with that, I think, uh, I think we're out. Anything else you want to mention V? Please, please go watch your vision. Please go watch your, your life. Your life will be better for it. And also in V please watch your vision, the movie. <laughs> Cause I think you would enjoy it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, sure. Why not? I got a, yeah. I got a, I got a weekend coming up. Let's do it. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Engadget podcast. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter and talking about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. And if for any reason you want to talk to me, you can find me at Chris Velasco on Twitter or you can email me at V at Engadget.com. And speaking of You're email... You're mad bad. Yeah. Speaking of email, Devendra, you can email us at podcast at Engadget.com with any feedback, any questions, or anything that you'd like to see. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. And please also, if you liked whatever we've been doing, subscribe on anything that gets podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, whatever you like, we're there. And we want to get your support. 